We're going to continue in, in Mark's Gospel. And I'm actually, before, before we get right into the sermon, we usually kind of just jump right in, but one of uh, my kids uh, come to my office on a regular basis, and uh, um, when they come, one of their favorite things, they of course, I think, like to see their dad, but they're especially happy to come to my office because I have this in my office. It's a M&M dispenser, and it's one that you don't even have to put any money in. You just push the yellow button, and they go around this little slide and come out, and you can eat the M&Ms. It's a great thing. And, and before we even start this morning, is there anybody else that's a fan of M&Ms? Anybody with me on this one? Lots of fans of M&Ms. If you would like, why don't you just come up front and grab some? Ralph is not ashamed. Come on up. Kids, come on up. Have some M&Ms. If mom says it's okay, it's cool. Just push the button. They'll come flying out of there. Grab some M&Ms. There you go. Just get a couple. Save some for Mark. He's hungry. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, my. Okay. Thanks for pushing the button, Zach. It's kind of fun, isn't it? There you go. There's more. There you go. Just take a couple and then let one of your friends grab one. Awesome. Oh, easy. All right. That'll do. All right. <laughs> yeah, she likes M&M's. That's cool. I'm with you, Gabby. I usually just hit the yellow button once. She did like four times. Why don't you just grab a couple out of there? Good work. There you go. It's worth waiting in line a little bit for that, isn't it? You can have a couple M&Ms there. There you go. Oh, yeah, you can have a couple. There we go. Isaiah, there you go. That it? Okay. Now, there were people... Um, this is really tempting but I can't really talk in two M&Ms at the same time, so I'll just leave them there. Now, there were people who raised their hands and said, yes, I'm a fan of M&Ms, but for whatever reason, it did seem, did you notice that the majority of the people that came up were children or childish? Uh, children? I didn't say or child. I said children. They were mostly children, right, that, uh, that came up and got the M&Ms. Um, Thanks for doing that, kids. I thought, like, I was thinking, you know, with this message, this would be one of those things where it would be kind of cute to do one of those children's sermons. Where all, and I couldn't think of anything. All I could think of was giving away M&M's. So that was my children's sermon. Um, there you go. You got M&M's. I might talk about that again a little bit later. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Jesus has, has been teaching a lot of things to his disciples. He knows that his time is drawing near. He's on his way now to Jerusalem. His disciples have confessed that he is the Christ. He's already predicted two times to them that he has come to die and to rise again. And they don't get it. A lot of the things that he's saying, they don't get. But he's trying to teach them as much as he possibly can. Last week we were talking about marriage and divorce. He was trying to teach them about that. And now this week, some of the things that he's going to teach them, the illustration that he's going to use is children. He's teaching them a bit about children, but mainly he's trying to teach them a bigger point and he's using children as the illustration. We're just going to be looking at four verses today in Mark chapter 10. Uh, just so you know, um, there is a, uh, an outline, um, very simple outline inside the bulletin, just kind of two main points today, as you'll see. Um, but I also put some time during the week into putting together these application questions. Now, we still have a couple of our life groups that have decided to continue meeting, but if you're not in one of those... I'd still encourage you not to be somebody who just comes and hears the Word and then moves on with life, but that you spend some time 
in maybe during your kind of devotion time or whatever, going through this guide during the week. I hope this will be helpful at helping you to apply God's Word to your life. So that's in there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. I have a lot of things that I'll say this morning. And uh, there are things that I pray through and things that I, that I ask God to give me guidance on. But one thing we know for sure is that what I'm going to read now is God's Word. And so this is different than my own words. And so if you could, let's please stand as we read God's Word this morning from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Here's God's Word. And they were bringing children to Him, that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You can be seated. So in that outline, uh, a couple of main points this morning. Spend a lot of time here on the first one, which is this. Bring children to Jesus. He loves them. Bring children to Jesus. He loves them. Now, if you looked, if you saw verse 13 right away, the disciples again kind of making a misstep here. Jesus is going to correct them and then teach them something. But look at verse 13. Here's what verse 13 says. And they, we don't know who they is, maybe parents, probably parents, maybe others, they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Okay, now, this is not the first time in Mark's Gospel that we've seen children being brought to Jesus. But the other times that we've seen children brought to Jesus, it's because they've been sick or they've been possessed by a demon and they want Jesus to heal their child or to cast the demon out. But these children, we don't see, have really anything wrong. They just want to get a blessing. They just want Jesus to touch them, right? And so these kids are coming to Jesus, being brought to Jesus, and the disciples might be a little bit appalled maybe or confused as to why are they doing this? Why are they saying no? You can't. It says, in fact, it says the disciples rebuked them. Again, that's the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes a demon to cast it out. So the disciples weren't politely saying, oh, no, not right now. Now's not a good time. They were rebuking the people that were bringing the children to Jesus. Why such a strong reaction from the disciples? Why wouldn't they want little kids to come to Jesus? Well, we need to understand the, the context, the cultural context, the understanding of children at that time. We've touched on this a bit before in Mark's Gospel, but, but at that time, children weren't little things to be doted on and cuddled with and cheek-pinched and all that stuff that we do um, with kids in our culture, rather, kids were looked at in that culture as helplessly dependent people that had not yet arrived, basically. They were just kind of there until they got to be adults, and then they could actually be useful for something. That's the way both the Roman Greek culture and the Jewish culture would have looked at children. So that's the context. And so the disciples aren't being mean, bully-type people. They're just doing what everybody else would have done in their culture, would have looked at kids as less important than everybody else. And they, the disciples, 
were starting to understand the great importance of Jesus, weren't they? They started to understand that Jesus was important. He was, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah. And so as they see the great importance of Jesus and the much lesser importance of little children, their natural reaction is to say, get away. He doesn't have time for this. He's so much more important than these less important children. That's the understanding of the disciples. He doesn't have time for this. He's got important things to do. He doesn't have time for kids. And, you know, even as in just reading this, you read Scripture a bit differently sometimes when you're a parent. I don't want to be reading this into there because I don't know that this is totally in there. But the Holy Spirit does work in your heart as you read God's Word. I just felt this conviction uh, personally. Uh, now, now having three children of our own, of just how many times I think there's just other things that are more important than them. I, I mean, I would say, and I firmly believe that I would sacrifice and give ever, anything for my children. But if I'm honest, how many times have I pretended to listen to my kids when my attention is really fixed on a screen of some sort? Right? How many times have I chosen to get into my email inbox instead of get into a cardboard box with my kids and play with them? Right? How many times have I been aimlessly scrolling through Facebook when I could have looked at my kids in the face and opened a book and read with them? How many times do we just kind of functionally, maybe we wouldn't say it, we wouldn't think it, but we kind of communicate to kids that they're a little less important than other stuff that we have going on at the moment. I was a bit convicted of that personally, and I don't think it's probably just me. We're busy. We've got a lot of things to do in our culture. It's easy to kind of just just, well, just, why don't you just take care of yourself? I mean, sometimes you have to do that. There are important things that you need to do. So we don't need to feel guilty if we're not spending every living moment just, you know, doting on our kids. We can't. That's not possible. They need to learn that there are other things that need to be done, right? We live in a culture in which people often spend more time doing things for their kids than doing things with their kids. Have you noticed that? Are you guilty of that maybe in some way? That we spend a lot of time doing things for our kids and not a lot of time doing things with our kids. We spend a good portion of our time with our kids just bringing them places, right? But have we often or forgotten to think of the fact that one of the God's calls for us is that most important place that we can bring our child is not to the next thing that's on the calendar, but we need to bring our children to Jesus which is what we see here in verse 14. Go ahead and look at verse 14. What's Jesus' reaction going to be? Is he going to kind of go along with the rest of his culture and say, you know what, my disciples are right. I do have a lot going on. Nobody would have blamed him for it. That would have been totally acceptable in that culture for Jesus to say, yes, that's right. I don't have time for children right now. I've got other things to do. Look at what Jesus does in verse 14. Verse 14 says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Those are the disciples. No, 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 no. Let the kids come to me. Don't hinder them. Jesus tells his disciples that you're wrong. Your whole culture is wrong about about kids. You're wrong about me, disciples. I'm not too important for these children. So let them come. Bring them to me. Don't get in the way. Kids are not just some 
time-sucking nuisance. They're not, like one of my professors used to say, economic parasites. I don't think Jesus would say that that's what children are, right? It's not Jesus' view of children. Jesus wanted the little kids in this passage to come to him physically. That's what this passage is saying. But I think it's also true, as we read the rest of Scripture, that it's very clear we seek to apply this stuff that Jesus also wants children to come to him spiritually. Right? That, that nobody is born into the world uh, one of his, that they have to be adopted. And so how do they do that? Well, it comes by hearing the gospel. That Jesus desires that children come to him in the spiritual sense. So we need to be with our children, especially if you're a parent, and maybe even especially if you're a dad, are you opening the Bible and reading it to your children? They need to hear the gospel from their parents. Kids, do your parents share the gospel with you? Do they spend some time reading the Bible with you? If they don't, just ask them to do it. You ask them to do a lot of other stuff, right? Not ashamed of that. Go ahead and just say, hey, Mom, Dad, can you can we, can we read the Bible uh, tonight, maybe after supper or something like that? You know, maybe it just starts with picking a couple nights a week where you can make this happen as a family. But our kids need to come to Jesus. In order to come to Jesus, they need to hear the gospel. That's why we as a church want to come alongside parents who are doing this. And we have Sunday school on Sunday morning. If you are not currently participating in Sunday school, I encourage you to get up an hour earlier and get your kids here for Sunday school at 9 o'clock. We've got some great teachers teaching some great content from the Word of God, and we want as many people as possible, as many children, to come and hear about Jesus. Come to Awana. If they're in kindergarten through sixth grade, you've got neighbors in that age category, invite them to show up for Awana. We want kids to be brought to Jesus. And that happens as they hear the Word of God taught to them. Thank you, by the way, to all of you who are doing this. Those of you who are mentoring, we have a number of youth tied in with a, a one-on-one adult mentor. We've got nursery workers. We've got Awana volunteers, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, all sorts of people doing all sorts of ministry to children because we believe that children need to be brought to Jesus. That Jesus loves them. If you look, actually go ahead and look at your bulletin. Look at your bulletin. Church calendar for this week? Our church this week. Today? Tonight, high school youth group and middle school youth group. Tomorrow, Christian education meeting, which we mainly talk about how can we better uh, teach and lead children. The Clay Women's Bible Study, a lot of moms in that Bible study, so there's three ladies in the church that do child care uh, and, and lead kids in that way during that time. Awana, all about kids on Wednesday night. Next week, Sunday school. Sunday, We do a lot. Uh, we, we care about kids in this church. We want, we want to see kids brought to Jesus because Jesus wants children brought to him. Okay? So we need to do that as parents, as a church. But then the last part of verse 14 might be a little more confusing. It says this, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. What does that mean? For to such belong the kingdom of God. Let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. Okay? What this does not mean is this. It does not mean that kids who have parents who are Christians automatically get Christian kids. Okay? Just because they, 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 they do a few things, they bring them to church maybe, and maybe even have some family devotions, that does not automatically usher your kids into the kingdom. Kids are not saved by Christian parents. 
we can share the gospel with them, we can make commitments to live a godly life, to be obedient before them, but we cannot bring them into the kingdom. We wish we could, but we cannot. So parents, if you're, if you're a believer, it's not because your parents brought you into the kingdom. Okay. This passage is sometimes used um, at, at infant baptisms, and this passage is really just not at all about baptism. You don't really see baptism highlighted in any way there. At our church, we don't we don't practice infant baptism. We practice baptism of adults. Some of you have been here when we've done that. And the thing that we do for, for children is we do something called um, child dedication. Um, we're actually going to do one next week. Um, and so, uh, so if you've not kind of just seen what that is like, if you have a little child that's been born recently um, and, and you would like to come before the church and, and make a public commitment, hopefully you're making this commitment in your home, but to make a public commitment before the church to say, we are going to teach this kid about Jesus. We're going to talk to them a lot about God. We're going to open up the Bible and read it to them. And we're going to make that public commitment before our church family. Would you hold us accountable to that? And also, it's, it's a way for, for, the, for the family to say to the church, could you help us with this? We, we don't have what it takes on our own. We, we don't have what it takes to, we need other people to come alongside and also be talking to our kids about Jesus and also be opening up the Bible and teaching them about who God is. So would you come and would you help us with that? Thinking of doing one, we put an announcement in the bulletin of doing that uh, on Mother's Day as well in May. Um, so if you're interested in that, you maybe you just have questions, just come and talk to me. I'd like to talk to you about that. But that's what, what does this passage mean at the end when it says, to such belong the kingdom of God? Does any, any child who comes up here and gets dedicated, do they now belong to the kingdom of God? No. What does it mean when Jesus says, for to such belong the kingdom of God? Well, he's already beginning to point to the truth that he's going to highlight in verse 15. He doesn't say, though, that to these children belong the kingdom of God. He's not taking these kids and saying, to these children belong the kingdom of God. They're in because they just came to me just now. They were brought to me, and so now they're in. He's not saying that. He doesn't say, for to these belong the children of God. It says, for to such as these belong the children of God. They are an illustration. They are an example to the ones that are like these, to those such as these. Your translation will say, really, whatever translation it is, to such as these belong the kingdom of God. We're going to get to that a bit more when we get to verse 15. But kind of two points within the first point. One is that we're supposed to bring kids to Jesus. The second is that Jesus loves kids. How do we know that? How do we know that Jesus loves children? Well, look at verse 14. Verse 14, I kind of skipped over the beginning before, but it says this. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, When Jesus saw the disciples hindering the children from coming to him, he was indignant. This is the only time that that word is used in the New Testament or in the Gospels. The only time that that word is used in the Gospels. Indignant does not mean quietly disappointed. It means visibly upset. Jesus probably had some words with his disciples and maybe had some veins visible and a red face as he saw them do this. Okay, Jesus was visibly upset. He was, he was indignant that the disciples would prevent the kids from coming to him. How does that display love? Well, you know that that's true, don't you? That you can tell how much someone loves something or someone 
when that someone or something is taken away or threatened? So like a little kid that maybe comes in after Sunday school, right? And there's the part in your bulletin that most people never pay attention to, a little slip of paper uh, that says uh, prayer requests or contact information, share them with us. If I took that away from a kid after Sunday school, big deal, right? But if they're chewing on a donut and I just walk over to them and say, hey, good to have you here this morning, take the donut away? Some of you kids are like, I don't like my pastor anymore, right? You're going to be mad. You're going to be indignant because I took away something that you valued. That donut was valuable to me. Don't you take away my donut. The same thing like as adults, as guys, we kind of, like you can do whatever you want to me, but don't you be talking about my mama or my wife or my kids. You don't want to mess with them, right? Because we love them and we value them very much. And so if somebody's going to mess with them, we're going to get mad. And Jesus is mad here because he wants the kids to be brought to him. That's one way we know that Jesus loves kids. And then verse 16 That's very obvious. All they wanted was for Jesus to touch their kids. But look at what Jesus does in verse 16. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. All they wanted was for Jesus to reach out his hand and touch them. But what does Jesus do with these people? Everybody thought, well, it'd be totally acceptable for Jesus to do nothing at all. He was so important and they were just kids. All they asked was that he just touched them and he didn't even just do that. Jesus took the kids in his arms and he spoke a blessing on them as he touched them, laying his hand on them. That's how we know that Jesus loves kids. This would have been astounding in that culture. If we're just reading that, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It just seems like a normal thing that you would do with kids. This was not at all normal. This was very countercultural. The way that Jesus was treating kids in his day was unlike anybody else was treating kids in his day. We need to learn from that. Jesus goes out of his way to show his love for his children. He speaks words of blessing and truth in them. Are we doing that with children, whether they're ours or other people's? Are we in appropriate ways showing them love? Love is not what the rest of the world says. If we're just responding to our kids the way the rest of the world treats kids, then we're probably not doing a very good job of loving them as Jesus would. Loving kids is not always giving them what they want or anything like that. We ought to be looking to Jesus if we want to learn how to love kids. The first thing we do if we want to love kids is we bring them to Jesus. That's the best way that we can love our kids is we can spend a lot of time talking to them about Jesus, sharing the gospel with them. They need to hear it over and over again, especially from us. We need to love our kids by holding them in our arms. That's what Jesus did. Kids are shown love now again appropriately, so certainly you know, with your own children. Um, we, need to, we need to show them physical affection. We need to be doing that. Maybe your dad didn't do that with you or your mom didn't do that with you. Break the cycle and do it with your kids. Grandparents, do that with your grandkids. They need they need that physical touch to, to have love expressed to them. You need to be doing things with them and not just existing in the same space. Right? And then the other thing Jesus does is he lays his hands on them and blesses them. Do we do that? I mean, our kids hear all sorts of things. They need to hear words of discipline from us. They need to hear hard words sometimes. 
They need, but they hear so much that is so wrong and so discouraging all throughout the day that they need to hear words of blessing from us as parents and as grandparents. Are you sharing words of blessing and truth? Are you saying true things to your kids? One of the things that we've kind of had a practice of doing for a long time with our own children before before we go to bed, I mean, we spend some time praying and we usually want some kind of physical touch to be a part of that as well. We've been singing this song. I didn't even know where it came from, so I looked it up this week. It's this song that's like this little combination of two English hymns from the 1800s, and then they kind of put it together, and somebody did it in the 60s strangely, and it makes me almost not want to sing it anymore, but the words are so good. The Grateful Dead used it to close out some of their concerts um, in the late 60s and early 70s. I don't know why um, that they did that, but the words are, Lay down, my dear children, and then we use our, our kids' names in there, Lay down and take your rest. I want to lay your head upon my Savior's chest. I love you, but Jesus loves you best. I bid thee good night, good night, good night. We've been doing that ever since Annika was just a tiny little baby, and now she's seven, and we've done that with the other two kids as well. But just to speak those true words to our kids before they go to sleep, that they know that mom and dad love you. I know sometimes I had to I had to discipline you today. There's some things that maybe we didn't get it, but I love you. But I also need you to know that Jesus loves you best. Good night. It's a good way to go to bed at night. We need to be sharing words of blessing, laying our hands on our kids. We love them as Jesus does. But then there's one more verse that we skipped over. It's verse 15. And the real point that Jesus is seeking to make here in this passage is how do we receive the kingdom? How is it that we go about receiving the kingdom? There's a lot that we can learn from kids, and we could do whole messages on that. We actually have another thing we have in our house that's been kind of fun. We have this quote book. So just uh, little things that our kids have said, maybe wise sayings um, that we want to record and not forget. And so we've got we've got kind of a log of different things that our kids have said. For example, in uh, 2000, so Annika was uh, two, almost three years old when she said to me, she just looked at me one day and said, Daddy, you say the loudest things. She's right, okay? Kids speak true words. Like, Thank you, uh, Annika. Um, maybe there's wisdom in some other things that kids have said before. Um, Annika also said one time, you got to get married when you're young so you don't forget who you're going to marry. That's a good point, right? But yeah, that makes sense. you got to get married when you're young so you don't forget who you're going to marry. That was a good point. Kids, we can learn a lot from kids. I'll do one more. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah, this is maybe, maybe, uh, here's Isaiah's, he's got some kissing advice, okay? He says, Mom, you should kiss Daddy like this, not like this. And Mom said, why is that, Isaiah? And Isaiah said, because if you're kissing like that, then you're, and you're standing up, you might fall over. Okay? All right. Good advice. Good advice from kids. We, we, learn, we can learn a lot from children. They say all sorts of cute things. They can make TV shows about all the cute things that kids say, right? That's not really what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, I want you to learn from the cute things that kids say. He's saying, I want you to learn from what it is to actually be a child. What does it mean to be a child? He's teaching about how to receive the kingdom in verse 15. Here's what it says. Verse 15 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what he's talking about is not children. He's talking about 
how is one to come and receive the kingdom? Now, he's pretty much making that synonymous with receiving himself. Okay? The kingdom of God, we need to define that probably. When he's saying receiving the kingdom, he's saying coming to a point where you're acknowledging and submitting yourself to the rightful reign of King Jesus over all things. He is the sovereign creator and ruler over all things. And, and being a part of his kingdom is you saying, I will put myself willingly under his reign. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. That's entering the kingdom. That's what the kingdom looks like, okay? And Jesus is saying here, you want to enter the kingdom, you want to receive the kingdom, then you need to be like one of these kids. So, how, so what does he mean exactly? Are we supposed to, um, you know, say cute things and that's how we enter the kingdom? Are we supposed to be kind of innocent, um, like a lot of people think children are, but they're obviously not in a lot of ways? Um, and is that what he's saying? Do you, want, do you want us to have childlike faith? Is that what he's saying? Well, not really right here. We have to again understand the, the cultural context of what it meant to be a child. And a child was somebody who was helplessly dependent. How do you receive the kingdom then? By coming to Jesus as one who is helplessly dependent. By being brought to Jesus and knowing that there is no other way for me to be saved. Except through what you have done. I, I come bringing nothing on my own. We sang last week, Rock of Ages. Remember the words from that song? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless come to thee for grace. I, I don't have anything if you don't provide it for me. I come to you to receive the kingdom, not because I have done enough to somehow earn the kingdom on my own. No. I have not done anything that that deserves the kingdom. I come to you humbly submitting myself as a helpless, dependent child who has nothing to give to offer you in return for the salvation that you offer me. Nothing. Probably where the illustration of my M&Ms breaks down, right? That, that you had to, you kind of had to be um, maybe a, a kid uh, to kind of feel that, that kind of level of comfortability and coming up and doing that. But Jesus really is mainly talking about how do you receive the kingdom as, as a child, and that is by being and recognizing yourself as helplessly dependent. So why does Jesus need to tell him this? Why, why, does he, why does he make this illustration at this point? Why does Jesus need to teach us this? Why do we need to hear that unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you won't enter it? Why do we need to hear that? Well, I think we need to hear that because that goes against the grain of what's natural for us to think. Listen, we live in rural Iowa, we, and, we're, and that's part of the United States of America. We are like a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of country. We are rugged individualists who say, I can do it. We can get this done. I, I have what it takes to do what I need to do, okay? And especially maybe in the Midwest, we have even more of that attitude. If you've had a toddler in your house, they have that me-do-it kind of attitude. If they think that they can do it on their own, they do not want you to come and help them. They will say, me do it, defiantly. I'm not going to let you do this because I can do this on my own. That is our natural bent from the time that we're toddlers on, that we have this kind of me-do-it kind of attitude. 
I don't want to take any handouts. I can take care of this. I can take care of myself. And that's not the attitude that Jesus is looking for, for those who are seeking to come into the kingdom. Those who would come into the kingdom, those who would receive the kingdom, are not those that have that kind of attitude that says, I can do this. Me do it. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't take any handouts. No. The people who come like children, recognizing that we're helplessly dependent, and if we don't take a handout, we ain't got nothing. Right? We need a handout. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can't work our way into the kingdom. We can only receive it. The other reason I think that Jesus needs to remind us about this is a lot of times we have our own kingdom and we like it. Why would we want to receive the kingdom of another if we're king over our own little kingdom and we're doing it pretty well, we think? We're idolatrous. We need to humble ourselves, though, like little children. There's a lot that can prevent us from coming into the kingdom. First and foremost, our sin. That's what prevents us from receiving the kingdom, our sin. We talked about that at the end of Mark chapter 9. When Jesus was highlighting the seriousness of sin, remember? And the fact that the just punishment for our sin is hell, which is real and is horrible, right? So that is, that is what we rightly deserve. Jesus there was talking about entering the kingdom. He said it over and over again. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. The opposite of, of being in the kingdom is being in hell. Jesus says, come and receive the kingdom. Next week we're going to be talking about how wealth makes it difficult to enter the kingdom. That's the next passage here in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is talking a lot about what it takes to enter the kingdom. And what we just need to realize above all else is that what it takes is what's already been done. What it takes to enter the kingdom is not you trying a bit harder to be a bit better at being a little better Christian or a little better parent or a little better spouse or a little better church member or whatever. What it takes to receive the kingdom, what it takes to enter the kingdom is what's already been done. The way to the kingdom has been opened up by what Jesus said he was going to do and he actually did and that is that he died on the cross bearing the penalty for our sin that was our barrier, that was our thing that was preventing us. It was the thick wall that was preventing us from entering the kingdom. But through Jesus' death, that wall was toppled into a big rubble heap that hopefully will result in our godly sorrow that will lead us to repentance, to, to coming before God as helpless children and saying, I get it, God. My sin is more serious than I thought, and all I deserve is punishment. God, you are a gracious God, and, and you showed your grace and your love for me, one of your helpless children, by sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, and you raised him from the dead. Power over sin. So God, my only hope is not what I've done, but it's what he's done. I'm declared righteous, made righteous. I'm, 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 I become a saint because of what Christ has done. I'm adopted as one of yours, not because I deserve to be adopted, but because of what Christ has done. I was once an enemy and now I'm a friend. And I didn't earn your friendship, God. All I earned was your hatred, your, your wrath. I earned that, God, that you instead in your grace have given me your love. 
you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you haven't received the kingdom, if you've been trying to get into the kingdom by, by doing something to, to kind of punch your ticket and get your way in, you need to repent and you need to come before God like a helpless, dependent child, acknowledging that you have nothing in your hand to bring. And simply to the cross, you must turn. I want to talk about that. I'd love to talk to you about that after the worship service. A lot of good news for us here in Mark chapter 10. Something we can learn about children and about parenting and all that stuff, but ultimately it's about the kingdom. So thankful for God's word this morning. Let's pray before we close and sing together.